Hello and welcome back to the Everyone's a Football Critic podcast with me, Zach Palmer. Unfortunately, my co-host Callum cannot join us this week. He's decided to get ill on the eve of the World Cup. How incredibly inconvenient of him. But no matter, we will continue without him as best we can. The plan for today then is to just run through each group and what I'll try and do is just provide a brief overview of how I expect each team to play and as a result where I expect each team to finish in their respective group. Let's start then with Group A. I think it's quite clear that the Netherlands are the the favourites to get out of this group in first position. They've got a really strong squad that allows them to remain solid at the back whilst also being quite adventurous going forward. They will tend to play with the three at the back and they've got the personnel to do this in centre-backs like Nathan Ake, Virgil van Dijk, Matthias De Ligt, Timber, De Vridge, even Daly Blind being able to play on the outside of a back three as well. So they've got plenty of options to be able to play that back three and remain really solid. Going forward, they're pretty exciting as well. The formation will tend to look like a sort of 5-2-1-2. And what that gives you is a really solid defensive base, as I say, then with the double pivot, uh, which will likely be Frankie de Jong and one other. I imagine that will be Klaassen or Koopmanners, but it could also be Darun. Um, and then ahead of that, you've got the 1-2, which will be probably Cody Yakpo playing in behind Memphis Depay and one other Um Stephen Bergwijn has played there and what you'd see is a really really fluid front three um, with essentially three players that can play wide so what that gives you is the ability for one or multiple of those front three players to drift into wide areas and link up really well with the wing backs who will likely be uh, Dumfries on one side and it it's probably likely it'll be Daily Blind on the other side who will be more conservative but it could also be Malassia particularly in some of these group games where you'd imagine that the Netherlands will dominate the ball um, and therefore be able to play slightly more expansive and more attacking players and not worry so much about what's going on behind them. What is really interesting to me is some of the squad picks though. Um, Louis van Gaal has gone with three traditional number nines in the squad in Vincent Janssen, Luke de Jong and Wout Weghorst, which doesn't really play into how I would be expecting them to play with this through a front three. So it'd be interesting to see if... Um, Louis van Gaal goes with something a little bit different, whether he still sticks with that front two, whether he just plays a sort of target man alongside a more flexible forward like Memphis Depay with Cody Akpo just off them, or whether maybe he plays more of a traditional front three and he plays a uh, a lone striker uh, in one of those. And then, you know, Cody Akpo can play wide and Memphis can play wide, as can players like Steven, Steven Bergwijn as well, who I think will be really close to the starting eleven, And then Noah Lang, able to come off the bench and offer something different so I think that's I think it's a really interesting fluid squad lots of ability for variance um, so excited to see how they set up and I think that they will cruise through the group with nine points I think it will be interesting to see whether they can truly dominate teams and, and if they do I think that coming out of the, the group stage into the knockout stage you'd have to really consider the Netherlands as, as a contender for winning the whole thing given the quality that they have throughout the squad I think then finishing second in Group A will likely be Senegal. Um, it's just been announced that Sadio Mane has been ruled out though, so I think that that is going to obviously be a massive loss for them. That said, they do have other players in the squad that can be dangerous in forward areas. Players like Ismail Assar, who will play off the right-hand side, I'd imagine, can really stretch defences, will allow them to counter-attack really, really quickly and get up the pitch. So he provides a useful option in Mane's uh, absence. Also, Bamba Yang will probably play as the number nine. Not very similar to Mane in any way, but still 
you know, genuinely offers an out ball. He's someone that can hold the ball really well. So I think that that will give their defence a bit of a respite if they do choose to play a little bit deeper and try and hit teams on the break. Being able to hit Bamba Dieng and then have Ismail Asar come up behind him and run beyond him, I think, um, you know, will provide a real threat and they could actually cause a couple of upsets. But no doubt losing Sadio Mane is a big loss. I think also what you have with Senegal is a really, really strong midfield unit. Players like Idrissa Gay, Papa Gay, uh, Kuyate, Mendy, uh, Papasar, you know, offer a lot of depth in what will likely be a, a, a midfield three. And that's really important because what you get there is great coverage from those centre midfielders. It allows the fullbacks to really push on. Those wide midfield eights in the midfield three can move out wide and cover that position for them. So they do have the ability to get players forward. It'll just be a case of whether they can they can actually break out often enough to cause teams uh, teams danger. I think even despite Mane not being in the squad, I think they they should have enough to overcome both Ecuador and Qatar. And I think that that will see them safely into second place and progressing out of the group. In third place then, I, th- I think it will probably be Ecuador. They've got quite a young squad and I think that whilst the upside to youth can be fearlessness, I think that the downside or potential downside is lack of experience and I just don't quite see them having enough, particularly in forward areas, to get over the line. I mean, they've got a really nice core to the squad in Estupinian and Caicedo, both of um, Brighton, of course. And then also they've got exciting players like Gonzalo Plata, a, a young winger who I think is you know definitely one to watch coming out of this tournament. I think that he'll be really exciting. And then obviously um, they've got Romario Ibarra as well, who... Um, I think everyone will probably be familiar with from tournaments past. So I think that what you'd expect to see from Ecuador is is a really low block and then trying to spring really quickly, which I think will be a common theme in the tournament. I just don't think they'll quite have enough to finish chances. I think they might look dangerous in patches of play, but I think they'll ultimately struggle to get out of that low block. And even when they do, I just can't see them being clinical enough in the forward areas to, to sort of truly, truly get enough enough goals to get out of the group. So that means I have Qatar finishing bottom of the group. I don't think there's too much to say about Qatar as a, a footballing side. I mean, we'll likely see them set up in a, a 5-3-2. It's, it's very much what it sounds like. They're going to try and get behind the ball, as many players behind the ball as they possibly can. And, you know, just hope for a little bit of magic every now and again to get them up. It's always interesting with home nations to see whether they can maybe cause an upset obviously there's been some accusations this week as well about um bribery so also want to keep an eye on but hopefully none of that is true i've got to say that that is alleged so yeah I, i'm just not sure i quite see them having enough in forward areas to to truly trouble any teams i mean their standout player would be akram hafif uh, who's going to play up top for them traditionally a left winger but now plays as sort of second striker and plays in that front two for them he's got 19 goals for alstad already this year so Clearly dangerous in front of goal, but I just don't see how Qatar get him in dangerous situations often enough to to really cause any problems. Moving on to Group B then, and that's uh, that's of course England's group. So I think there is a danger here that there is an upset, and England could not qualify out the group. I think Wales and the USA, and even Iran to a much much lesser extent, do offer a genuine threat that could cause England a problem. And that there, that said, they should obviously qualify and progress out of the group and they should finish top of the group as well and they should do so comfortably but I think the USA and Wales are two two potential banana skins particularly for for England 
So we'll start then with England because I, I, I would I would obviously predict them to to finish top of the group. We've obviously spoken a little bit about how we expect Southgate's team to to set up in the last podcast, but just briefly here, it'll be a four-two-three-one or a three-four-three. Play both. We might see changes during a game. Even he's picked a squad based on that personnel. He's got players that can play both in a back four, so centre backs that can play both in a back four and on the outside of a, a back three. So players like Ben White being the standout there, but also um, Connor Cody's played in a th- in a three and a four. Harry Maguire, uh, obviously Kyle Walker is really proficient playing as a, a right back in a four and also an outside centre back in a three. So. Uh, plenty of options there. Um, the only weakness really is, I guess, depth and quality at centre-back and then also just depth full stop at left-back. We don't really have many options, but what we do have is a really exciting um, midfield and forward unit. So if we can get them on the ball and in space uh, and let them play, I think we can be really dangerous because we do have really quality players, in uh, creative players in uh Phil Foden, Bakaya Saka, obviously Grealish coming off the bench, Rashford off the bench, Sterling, um, and then even like Jude Bellingham in deeper positions as well. So I think that let those players play. You've got to play like Harry Kane, who will be incredibly efficient in front of goal, and I think that we can cause cause massive issues, but it's just a case of whether we can be expansive enough. The way that Southgate really likes to play is to be very efficient with the ball. It's very risk-averse. There's merits to it. You can grind teams down by dominating the ball. It means that you're not exerting so much energy whilst the other team are running around chasing you. But it does make for quite monotonous games sometimes um, with a sort of flurry at the end of the game once the opposition have tired. We see that quite a lot with Southgate's game, sort of nil-nil up until sort of 70, 75 minutes. And then, you know, the game finishes 2-3-0. So I, I would expect to see a bit more of that. I can't see him massively changing his approach. I've been a little bit concerned about sort of standard of um, performance in some of the warm-up games, but I think that ultimately the tournament, we will get it together. We'll look like a very solid unit, um, and it's just a case of whether we can be expansive enough and clinical enough in the final third to really punish teams. So with England in first, I would say it's a um, it's a close one between the USA and Wales for second place, but I would think that Wales would just have enough. I always think with Wales that they look more than the sum of their parts. They've not got a fantastic array of individual talents, you know, beyond perhaps Gareth Bale, but even he is obviously mid thirties now playing in MLS. It's, it's not as though he's sort of a world beater now. But, you know, other than that, it's not like they've got an array of talent there, but what they have is a really a really strong unit, really clear tactical identity and really good character and hardworking players. So it'll be interesting to see whether they can basically overperform again like they did the last time they were out. Uh, I think they're helped by two really informed players. Danny Ward in goal, first of all, who sort of fortunately has ended up being first-choice goalkeeper for Leicester this year. And I think he's kept six clean sheets in seven. So he's in great form. It'll be interesting to see if he actually plays ahead of Hennessy, who I think has traditionally been first-choice for Wales. So, uh, yeah, hopefully he comes in and be interesting to see whether he can carry that form into the World Cup. And then also they've got Kiefer Moore, who's you know, scoring for fun at Bournemouth for the for the moment. So hopefully he can carry his form into the uh, World Cup as well uh, for for the sake of Wales. Um, I think the only issue with Kiefer Moore is that playing him in their system maybe detracts from what tactically they're trying to do, and that's essentially get runners around Gareth Bale to free him up to focus on his in possession stuff. If they play Kiefer more, then they kind of have a... Not that he's not going to work hard, but he's more of a traditional target man, number nine, 
fox in the box he's not really going to going to take much of the workload off Gareth Bale in the way that you know despite maybe his technical ability Dan James would and on top of that you've got Aaron Ramsey who moved to Nice he's been struggling with injuries not played so much he's obviously an important player for them my concern would be whether he can get fit enough and stay fit enough to to make a genuine impact um, for Wales but I think if I think if they can work out a way to to keep Gareth Bale efficient whilst also playing Kiefer Moore and also get Aaron Ramsey playing well in the team as well then I think they'll look like a dangerous side but there's a there's a few question marks there as to whether they can fit all these players in finishing third then and as I say you know genuinely could finish second too would be the USA you know in theory and on paper quite an exciting squad it's a tends to be a 4-3-3 big focus on transitions Gagan pressing really trying to win the ball high up at the pitch and then transition really quickly but in wide areas their performances in some of the games leading up to the World Cup have you know been really disappointing they've got quite a lot of talented technical players and it's not very clear how you fit them into the squad I think you know Brendan Aronson's right up there right now with chances created in the Premier League and he doesn't have an obvious place in that 4-3-3 do you play him as one of the eights do you play him wide if you play him as one of the eights, do you struggle a little bit more defensively? You know, so then do you play him wide where most of the attacks will be going down? But if you do that, is he better off in central areas when he when he's getting on the ball? Can he drift inside? It's just not very clear. And I think you've got the same issue with uh, Gio Reyna as well, who just, you know, is he, is he an eight? Is he a wide player? Really, they're both number 10s. Can the USA shift to a sort of 4-2-3-1 and really do that? Is there enough cover if you play... It'll be Tyler Adams and Yunus Musa, I imagine, playing as the other eights in midfield. Could also be Weston McKenney. It could be all three of those. I think that would give you a more balanced midfield if you played Adams, Musa, and McKenney. But then you've got to work out how you fit Aronson and Rayner into the squad if you are going to try and do both. I would say that maybe you play Aronson off the right with then Pudisic off the left and uh, you, you relegate Rayner to a bench option. But we'll see because then you've got to get Weyer in there as well you've got Josh Sargent scoring quite well at Norwich right now so there's options there and again it's just a similar issue a little bit to Wales about how you get the best out of your better players Um, and I think if they can they can figure out a way to make that work you know except they need to make sacrifices in some places and that some of these players are going to have to start on the bench or you know slightly out of position or something as long as they can get the unit looking strong and get as much as they possibly can out of, you know, a player like Pulisic, a player like Aronson, you know, I think that they um, they could look really dangerous, but I just don't quite think they'll have as much as Wales, and that's why I've put them at third place, but it really is a coin flip. Finally then for Group B is Iran. Um, I actually think that there'll be a bit of a surprise number and could cause an upset. I don't think they'll finish on zero points. With Iran, you have an incredibly energetic team. They actually will press a lot more than you might imagine. I think the perception of a team like Iran would be that they'll 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 really sit deep and try and absorb pressure and just desperately fight for their lives. But actually, with Iran, they uh, they press a lot higher than I thought they would when I when I was watching them, and I think that that could cause quite a few teams some some problems. Despite the high pressing, it is all sort of a focus on out of possession stuff. Though they don't really have much when they get the ball so I'm not quite sure where masses of goals would come from for them but they do have Johan Bash and Tarimi as their kind of two standout attacking players so if if they can be 
relatively solid whilst pressing aggressively and managed to win the ball back in high areas and get Johan Bash and Tarimi uh, linking up well, then I think that they could be dangerous um, and one to watch and definitely not a team that will just be rolled over. Moving on to Group C then, and this is where my pick for the winner of the tournament comes in, and that's Argentina. I really, really like the look of them in the games leading up to this World Cup. They've just managed to come up with a system that really just seems to get the best out of some of these players and most importantly gets the best out of Lionel Messi. It's quite similar actually to the role that Messi has at PSG right now. Uh, actually in- incredibly similar since Gautier has moved to the the back four. The The system is very, very similar. It's this sort of 4-3-1-2 formation which can sometimes look like a 4-3-2-1 um, depending on whether you kind of play with two more natural forwards with Messi just playing as the 10 or whether you play with kind of two more withdrawn creative players you know someone like Messi with Di Maria for example with then um, a a natural focal point ahead of both of those players I think that given the personnel that they have that can be incredibly fluid if you played Messi in behind say Lataro Martinez and Dybala then Dybala can naturally kind of play as that second striker where he can go up into the front line and press with Martinez, for example, and get in, get beyond um, defenders and run the channels. But he can also drop off into a more of a number 10 position alongside Messi. So um, it can be very situational, I think. And I think that what we will see um, is a pressing structure that is too ahead of Messi to give him less responsibility within the, the line of three midfielders behind him as well. Um, but then in attacking areas, you might see one of those strikers just drop off a bit particularly against the low block where they can sort of start to, to pick passes and really get involved. So it'll be really interesting to see how that works. They've got they've got some great talent in those forward areas. I mean, Julian Alvarez has been doing really, really well for Man City this, this season, even just sort of playing second fiddle to Haaland. I mean, I think he's looked really impressive. You've obviously get, got Lotaro Martinez, as I say. It'll be a great option. But then um, players like Correa, aforementioned Dybala, Di Maria, Nicolas Gonzalez, you know, really good options in those areas. I, I would say that I would be a little bit worried about that midfield three unit. I think it's likely to be Rodrigo de Paul, Paredes, and it has been Enzo Fernandez a fair bit, but I think Alexis McAllister's form at Brighton might give him a nod. Um, Palacios as well is, is an option in there, but I'm a little bit concerned about, say, Paredes's form at Juventus right now, and I think de Paul's form at Atletico Madrid hasn't been great, so... We'll see, but I mean, uh, for Argentina, they've they've continued to look pretty solid, and and I don't think it's the be all and end all. But I think the lack of depth there might be a problem as well, particularly if they did suffer a couple of injuries. But you, what you really want is just you know three really industrial, hardworking uh, midfielders behind that. So so it is really important that those three midfield players are are fit and in, in good form and willing to do the the hard graft. The only other question mark, I guess, then about Argentina is Romero's fitness right now. It's a little bit of a question mark as to whether he's actually going to be fit at all. If he's not fit at all, then that's a massive, massive loss. If they can get him fit for any stage of the tournament, if they think that he would be fit for the knockout stages, then you've got to stick with him. You know, Tottenham fans, I think, will attest to how incredibly important he is and how great he is. Less so by how good he looks when he plays, but more so how much of a drop-off there is when he's not playing. It's it's so clear what he brings to that Tottenham back line and I think losing him in this uh, Argentina, Argentina side would be a massive loss too. You know, you can see that Romero and Martinez 
uh, from Manchester United would be a fantastic partnership and have been a fantastic partnership. And if Romero was injured, then you're looking at, you know, Otamendi coming in or maybe even Juan Foyth playing there. So I think it would be it would be problematic to say the least to to lose Romero. So for Argentina's sake, hopefully they can they can keep him fit. So finishing second in that group then, I think most likely we'll be looking at a toss-up between Mexico and Poland. I think rather controversially, I'd probably go with Mexico right now. Um, with Mexico, you've got an incredibly fun uh, 4-3-3. They're going to press really high. Um, lots of focus on possession. This is quite uncommon in this tournament, I think. I think you're going to see a lot of defensive teams. So it's actually quite an exciting prospect to see a team like Mexico really go for it and I think they've got in places the squad to do so I think they've got some exciting frontline players they've kind of built the team around Jimenez and then Lozano Napoli's Lozano is in great form as well recently so I think that'll be interesting to see how he gets on in the tournament I'd be worried a little bit about the strength of that midfield I mean beyond um Ajax's Alvarez it's not exactly stacked with quality uh, that could place a lot of pressure on Alvarez who will be playing as a, a, a sort of single pivot as well so I would worry about the extent to which that midfield can handle the strains of pressing high and trying to dominate the ball uh, we could see a lot of turnovers there but I do fancy them just to just to be able to shock some teams and blow some teams away third place then would be Poland if Mexico finished second I think Poland would be the more popular choice for for second place in the group, but just not massively convinced by by them. There's been some some criticism of the squad squad selection. I mean, youth has clearly been favoured over some of the older guard, and I'm just not sure some of them are ready. That said, you have got some really uh, you know um, exciting players there. In um, in particular, you got Zelinski, uh, who again from Napoli is absolutely flying. I think he'll be a massive threat. So if they can get him on the ball in dangerous areas then that'll be really exciting and then you've got obviously Robert Lewandowski one concern there is that he's never really performed massively well at uh, a big tournament for Poland so it's a it's a lot of pressure on him and big question marks over whether they can actually get him the service that he needs and I'm not massively convinced by their back line I mean Jan Benmarek will still be their first choice centre back and he's barely played at Villa but that said, they'll play with the back three, so maybe there's a, enough support there, but I'm just not massively convinced. Um, it'll be that sort of 3-4-2-1 formation. Fairly narrow with the wing-backs expected to do a lot, so potential that Matty Cash could have a good tournament if he can get isolated in wide areas and if his delivery can be on point for Lewandowski, but I think there's a lot of reliance on someone like Cash, Zielinski and Lewandowski to really carry this team, and I'm just not, not massively convinced there'll be enough, but you know, probably more likely they finish second, but I'm just I'm just going to be slightly contrarian and uh, go for Mexico finish second. That leaves then Saudi Arabia in fourth position. Not masses to say here. It's going to be a it's a bit of a fluid kind of four three three that often looks a bit more like a four one three two. So again, they're one of these sort of less like sort of less traditionally footballing nations that actually are fairly adventurous. Um, in the way that they want to play whether they'll change that at the World Cup and just try and sit in a bit more I'm not sure but I would expect to see Saudi Arabia try and play they've got this attacking midfield player Salem Al-Dazari who's got 15 goals and 6 assists for Al-Halil 
uh, this season. So I think it'll be interesting to see whether he can replicate some of that form and actually look dangerous. Again, I think in a similar way to how I feel about um, Iran in Group B and I think also what I was saying about Qatar in Group A, it's just a question mark of whether they can get their dangerous players on the ball often enough and in dangerous areas. I'm just not massively convinced they'll be able to do that regularly enough to really cause teams problems. But again, expect to be a little bit surprised about how expansive they are. I do think that they will try and play. And I don't think, you know, with any of the groups so far, we've got a sense that teams are really going to just try and sit and absorb pressure. The most likely to do that, I think, actually is um, is Ecuador. So we'll see how it pans out. But yeah, I don't see Saudi Arabia getting enough, um, again, just enough goals to, to get out of the group. So we'll see. Moving on swiftly then to Group D. This one looks like a, a bit of an obvious one as well. Um, Obviously, France being favourites to, to top the group. I think they probably will, right? But but they are looking a little bit short in certain areas. I mean, Kimpembe has just draw, uh, withdrawn injured. So Axel de Sassi has come in. Um, they obviously don't have Kante or Pogba. So they're looking incredibly light in midfield. And what they do have there is not particularly experienced at all. Um, and then they just lost Nkoku to injury as well and I, I think it was uh, Kolo Mouani from Eintracht who has come in whether he I, I can't see him getting many minutes but I think Nkuku is a is a big loss and I think that's just a big question mark about exactly how France are going to play you know so far what we've seen is a sort of very narrow 3-4-1-2 from then, then but supposedly that they've you know Deschamps has kind of moved away from that and he's not keen to play with that so I don't exactly know what to expect I mean what I will say is there there was a huge number of centre-backs in this squad um, Ibrahima Konate Jules Kunde, Saliba Umpamecano Varane De Sassi with you know some of those wide options in uh, Pavard and Hernandez able to play central as well so I, I think it's almost certain that he'll stick with a back three of some sort I just I don't see why you take so many centre-backs and not play them I'm interested to see whether it's a back three with wing backs and whether he is going to play a wide player, someone like Kingsley Coman, as a wing back. I just don't see them having the depth there. I mean, Hernandez can play on one side, but then you've got Pavard playing on the other side, who I think is probably more naturally an outside centre back in a three rather than a wing back. I'm not sure he offers enough going forward, but so so maybe therefore you play someone like Kingsley Coman as a right wing back and really just try and um, be super progressive on that side and have um, midfielders come over and cover I think we'll see I think it probably will end up being something of that sort I mean I can't see them drifting so far away from the 3-4-1-2 that they were going for but you know they do have really exciting wide players in Komen and Dembele you know and then you can also count uh, Mbappe and Taram I guess as, as options in those areas as well so do you really want to not play those players in favour of playing a really narrow formation when you don't really have the central midfielders for it you know lacking Kante and Pogba though I think it's certain that you know Camavinga comes in but then do you play Rabiot who's uh, not having a excellent season at Juventus Guendouzi who's been a little bit in and out at Marseille Shuamini I think that's how you pronounce it who again you know really talented young player looks promising but isn't exactly playing week in, week out for Real Madrid at this stage. So 
you know, and then Fafana, who looks really good at Monaco as well, but hasn't been capped that many times. So I think it's really tough. Um, I just don't think that it's um, massively obvious how they're going to play. I think then you've got you've then got this um, this problem with the forward line. Exactly what you do? Do you play Mbappe centrally? Do you play him off the left? You know, how do you put Benzema in the squad? You know, Benzema probably one of the best forwards in the world, but do France look a little bit better when Giroud plays? Possibly. Is that still the case? I don't know. Can you play them both together? Probably not if you want to play Mbappe as well. And certainly not if you want to play, you know, Coman and or Dembele. Uh, and, you know, not even to mention uh, Griezmann. How do you get the best out of him? Do you play him as a sort of withdrawn midfielder just behind, you know, two forwards in, you know, probably Benzema and Mbappe, you'd say. But I think they do look better with um, Giroud in the squad. So... It's really difficult. I think there isn't an obvious structure that makes sense. I think Deschamps has got a big challenge ahead to try and get as many of those talented players in the team at the same time. And I just think it might be too much. And I just think that that midfield unit, I'm really worried that that does not have enough coverage to allow you to stack that front line with um, creative players and, you know, to put a winger at wing back, for example. You know, I just don't think you have enough quality and experience in that mid- those midfield areas to, to get away with it. What you do have is a really, really strong and exciting back line. But again, fairly young. I mean, the experience you have there is uh, at, at centre-back is Varane and slight question mark over his fitness. He's obviously been out. I think he's supposedly fit again, but hasn't played much recently. And then you've got Saliba playing really well for Arsenal, but still pretty young. And Pomencano in and out of the Bayern Munich squad, Ibrahima Konate, who's um, been injured for Liverpool as well. So is he back fit? Is he fully fit? Can he play? Big question mark there. And then Jules Kunde, who I think has played a fair bit at Barca. I think he was injured for a bit as well, which, so again, that's a slight issue, but he's also not played uh, a massive amount of time at centre-back. He's spent quite a bit of time at right-back at Barca as well. So we'll see exactly what that setup is. I don't know exactly who... Uh, Deschamps will pick in that back line I think it looks like it will be a back three maybe that'll offer enough coverage for the inexperienced midfield unit but I'm not massively convinced that they can find a structure that will get the best out of all of these players and also make them not vulnerable going the other way so for that reason I think that they might finish second to Denmark in Group D who I think just look whilst it might not have the same amount of quality player to player just look incredibly well drilled. Um, they've got a sort of situational three four three that can move into a four three three. You know, really decent, strong side. As I say, incredibly tactically well drilled. You know, and they're they're really fun to watch. Actually, there's a lot of grit, but also like a fair amount of um, creativity there. Obviously, a player like uh, Christian Eriksen brings an awful lot of that, and he's playing pretty well actually for Manchester United as well. Matthias Jensen, um, similarly. Um, not always, you know, a bit in and out of the squad at Brentford, but a really solid player. Hoiberg um, having a great year for Spurs as well at the moment, so that'll be interesting. Then they've got they've got goal threats uh, in Kasper Dolberg. Um, I think Yusuf Paulsen always looks like a a really good forward to have alongside maybe someone else. You know, he um, he offers a lot of hard work and he's the sort of selfless forward that you want. Um, alongside more creative players um, you know I really like Mikhail Damsgaard he had a great tournament last time out he's not really played much for Brentford since making the move over there but I do think that he'll be a useful player probably off the bench and you know players like 
even their back line looks strong. You know, Anderson having a great season for Crystal Palace. Christensen's still a great player. Uh, they've got good full-back options in Rasmus Christensen and um, Wacky Mela. So, you know, I think just all in all, a really, really solid squad. Not as much talent as France, but I think that they will look more efficient and more well-drilled. And I think that that might just, might just give them the edge. So, for me then, I see Tunisia finishing third. I think that with Tunisia, what you have is actually a really, really defensively proficient side. Um, they've picked up loads and loads of clean sheets recently in the uh, in the run-up. So, I would expect really low-scoring games with Tunisia. So, I think that they, they, they might even pick up a draw or two. Um, you know, nil-nil draws. But I just don't think that they're going to have the creativity to kind of actually go and beat a team. Um, which is what they'd need to do to, to get out of the group, I think. But... If they do manage that, then I think that their defensive numbers will give them an incredible base to um, to win games if they can nick a goal. But I just I don't see them having enough. And then that leaves Australia finishing fourth in Group D. Just not a particularly great side, to be honest with you. Um, they flipped around a bit. They kind of play one of those kind of four two three one four three three four one four one. It looks a little bit different depending on exactly what they're they're trying to do, but. I just don't think they'll have enough. The only thing I have particularly of note to say about them is that the is that the young lad uh, Garang Kual, I think is how you pronounce it, but again, might be wrong there. Um, looks really exciting. He's 18. I don't think he's going to be the, be a difference maker, but I think he'll be a fun player to watch. So definitely want to keep an eye on. Moving on then to Group E. This group has drawn quite a bit of attention because both Spain and Germany are in it, and also Japan, who I think. Quite, quite quietly, I guess, have been spoken about as a, a fairly dangerous side. I think they're massively underrated and I think that they actually will cause an upset in this group. But I think that this is the group where one of Spain or Germany do not qualify. I'm not entirely sure which one it will be. I think it's going to be really, really close between Spain, Germany and Japan. I don't think there'll be much in it between all three of those teams. Um, I actually tend to think that both Spain and Germany will look a little bit disappointing but I think that Spain will just about have enough um, to get over the line and I think that they will top this group um, so it's a classic Spain 4-3-3 quite similar actually in style in terms of um, what the midfielders do sometimes um, to Senegal which is when the fullbacks go those midfielders will drop in uh, to the back line to cover and also they'll drop in and build up um, so I think we saw Marco Sorrento do that a lot um, at the last major tournament where he would play basically as a right back sometimes and he'd sort of drop in um, to either allow the fullback to go and actually I think he ended up covering it right back a, a fair bit as well so um, we'll see whether we see something similar but the big criticism of Spain has always been that whilst they dominate the ball massively um, it kind of feels like possession for possession's sake in a lot of instances, there's very little penetration. They don't necessarily have a attacking structure that creates chances. So therefore, there's a massive reliance on individual talent, which is kind of international football in a nutshell to some degree. But I think that you're asking an awful lot of um, some of those midfield players. So, you know, in particular, we're talking about Pedri, uh, also Gavi, but also uh, Carlos Soler, who's at PSG now, um, to really create in those areas and I just don't think that their front three probably looks strong enough for me that when you get them the ball they can really just create something out of nothing um, it's a big ask on 
Ferran Torres to do that? Um, are they going to play Sarabia? Uh, Dani Almo come back in. Ansu Fati, is he, is he ready? Marco Asensio. You know, these players are good, but it's a big ask on them to just sort of cr- constantly create out of nothing. And I'm not sure, particularly in this group, where I don't think they're going to have easy games. Um, I think they might struggle. But that said, um, and as I have just said, those players are very good. And I think that they will just have enough. And I do think that they will be fairly defensively solid. I think they've got good goalkeeping options. I think, you know, pretty pretty solid back line. Uh, could be better, but could be a lot worse. I think Pau Torres and Imeric Laporte probably start. Aspetaqueta looking okay. Jordi Alba or... Gaia if you want to go for something a little bit younger and a a bit more expansive. Obviously Rodri, one of the best hold midfield players um, in the world as well. So I think that fairly solid uh, defensively, particularly given that they dominate the ball so much, but it's just whether they can pick those pockets. And I think that there there probably is enough in that in those forward options and those attacking midfield options to to create enough chances to to top this group just about. Finishing second then I would say is Japan. Um you know, I think they probably will progress. It's a kind of slight wildcard choice, but I really, really like the look of them. A nice uh, 4-2-3-1. They've got an incredible array of talented attacking midfield options. Um, you know, just going through it, you've got uh, Ito, Endo, uh, Kamada, Kubo, Minamino... Mitoma, who's had a great, great start at Brighton, by the way. Um, and so I just think that you get those players on the ball and I think that they will cause problems for some of these teams, um, particularly if they can get the ball and move it quickly against uh, some of, you know, a team like Spain or, or Germany that are also going to leave spaces in behind just based on how, how they play and how they want to take the game to the opposition as well. So I think that there's great opportunities here for Japan to... Uh, to exploit these teams the only concern really being that they've got a slightly weak or I guess more so just older backline. Um, I'm not sure whether that'll be strong enough to hold off some of these really exciting attackers that Spain and Germany both have but um, I do think that they'll be able to create enough going the other way to to uh, to qualify out of this group so that leaves Germany then finishing third which as I say I think it, I think it could be any of those three progressing really but I just I've decided to go with Germany finishing third because I've just not been massively convinced by them since uh, Hansi Flick came in. I think their biggest issue is that they are massively lacking a goal scorer. I think you can go with Adeyemi, who's not exactly flying at Dortmund, and then you've got um, Makoko at Dortmund as well, who's a really exciting young player but just not really playing enough, I think, to sort of hang your hat on at a major tournament. So it's going to end up being Kai Havertz playing as a nine, who really should be playing as a ten and I just think that we've seen with the experiment at Chelsea that it just doesn't it doesn't quite work. It's not going to be clinical enough. I think that that is a massive loss, and I think even Timo Werner dropping out is a massive loss because at least he at least he offers really great movement that is going to stretch defenses. I just think with Havertz you have a really technical player that's going to want to drop off and get on on the ball, and I don't think that that makes sense to have when you've got a kind of attacking line behind him of say Muller, Musiala, Gnabry or Sane, Hoffman, whatever, whoever it is, brand that comes in, I just don't see Habits being able to... Um, I don't see that that being the right profile of forward 
for Germany. They need they need someone that's going to offer either stretching runs or at least just be a target man. And I don't think he's either of those things. That said, they do they they have probably one of the strongest midfields in in the tournament. I mean, Gundogan, Goretzka, Kimmich. I mean, in, incredible unit to be able to to rely on there with really exciting players that can play wide um, or in the, or central as well. In the case of Brandon Muller. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they go with, whether Musiala starts or whether they go with Sane and Gnabry, etc. Um, but really, really exciting section of players. Slight concerns, I guess, over that back line, particularly since they've uh, switched to a four. They go for a 4-2-3-1 now. Nico Slotterbecker is definitely the pick there. I mean, he's, he's an incredible centre-back and I'll be interested to see who probably plays alongside him. Probably Rudiger, I suppose. Um, but I'm just not, not massively convinced that this side is quite clicking in the way that it should at the moment. Might be surprised, but yeah, they're my uh, my kind of controversial choice to, to not progress out of the group stage. Right, moving on to Group F then. And um, I think we'd all predict Belgium to, to get out of this group. They're the perennial underperformers though, so we'll see. But I think they certainly have enough to get out of the group, uh, at least it's not. Not a sort of massively challenging group. I guess there are the potential for some surprises but I think that their their team will have enough it's an incredibly settled team the squad is very similar to um, what they've had before big question marks over a sort of aging defensive unit still relying on Vertonghen and Alderweireld um, you know phase coming in but you know, probably not enough so we'll see probably still going to be going with um, Torgan Hazard at wing back as well some exciting midfield options though to play in that pivot it's going to be a a th- sort of three four two one with De Bruyne and probably Eden Hazard being the two behind um, Romelu Lukaku. You would have thought, um, but they've got great options to rotate there as well. There's Leandro Trossard having a great season for Brighton. Charles de Ketelaer not really worked out yet at AC Milan, but he's a um, cracking player. So it'd be good to see him get some minutes as well. But but yeah, I think that they will comfortably win the group. It's just a case of how they progress uh, beyond that, and I don't think they'll probably. I don't think they'll. I think they'll probably be fairly disappointing again, but I think that they will certainly have enough to get out of the group at least. I think then second place is um, a sort of question mark. You would you would probably fancy Croatia, but I'm pretty worried about where the goals come from for Croatia, and I am also worried about the fact that they're still relying on that same midfield unit of Modric, Kovacic, and Brozovic. Um, that said, still all performing fairly well, so I I, I guess it makes sense. Um, they've got a slightly better backline now. Um, you might remember at the last tournament, uh, Josko Radiol played at left back rather than his preferred centre back. He's now moved over to to centre back, which means that they've got a much better pair of centre backs to be able to progress the ball. Um, out of defence and into that midfield unit, it means that Modric, Kovacic and Brozovic probably don't need to drop as deep as they uh, they have done in the past. So that's good, that's positive, but I'm just looking at that front line and I'm just thinking I'm not sure where the goals come from. You've got Perisic who is who looks good for Tottenham when he plays, but as a wing-back and also playing limited minutes. Um, so if you're relying on him to be your main attacking outlet, then I think that you might struggle. You know, does uh, Nikola Vlasic come in on the other side? Perhaps are you still relying on Kramaric? Has he got enough? I think it's um, 
it's going to be a big question mark. Kramerich versus Budimir, I think, is a bit of a a bit of a talking point as well. And I think ultimately neither are probably exactly what you want. You'd want a better striking option. So I think they're going to struggle for goals. Um, it's between them and Morocco for second place. Um, and I think that ultimately there will be just enough in this Croatian side to finish second. So that means Morocco finishing third. I think it will be close between them and Canada though. But I think that with Morocco you have a, a really nicely a, a really nice press resistance in midfield with uh Unahi and Bufal. Uh really great dribblers. Um really can get you up the pitch really quickly, so I think that's really useful. And combine that with, you know, really great uh full back options in Mazraoui and Hakimi. Be interesting to see how you get both of those in the same side with then a, a pretty solid uh, defensive partnership of uh, Aguard and Saiz. Um, it's not looking. It's not looking so bad. Um, and then if you can get someone like um, Hakim Ziyech on the ball to create things, Lies Chair is a decent option. Can En Naziri hit form? Uh, he's a little bit hot and cold. If he can get in the goals, I think there's a chance that they could pick uh, pick off Croatia. But I think I think probably we're looking at. Croatia finishing ahead of Morocco and I do think that they will put the pressure on there I do think there's a, a decent squad there but it's just a case of whether some of these um, pieces can click together be this 4-1, 4-1 type formation um, so the midfield does need to be able to do the defensive work as well as the just progressing the ball up the uh, up the field work but I think they uh, I think they do have potential leads us on to fourth place which is where I have Canada Seems harsh in some respects. I think they have some decent options throughout the squad, but I think probably just not quite enough to really to really challenge um, for the top two spots in the group. They've got pace in their squad. That's really what they rely on. You know, someone like Alfonso Davis plays, you know, really high up in the uh, the four three three, or plays one of the the wingers in the front three. So a bit, little bit different to what maybe you expect to expect from him, given what he's done at Bayern Munich. But, you know, they try and get him further up the pitch. Really quick transitions. Someone like um, Jonathan David is so useful to this. You know, very similar in style somewhat to like what Gabriel Jesus is doing at Arsenal. Likes to really drop off. Links play really well. Will drift wide. Press as well. Just a really kind of workman-like forward. And also, you know, is a is a quality finisher as well. So there's there's opportunities for them to, to maybe cause some of these teams' problems. I do think that this is a fairly open group you know just as I talk through it I think it's very possible that that particularly if Belgium don't perform as well as they should there is an opportunity there for Canada and Morocco to pick up points and then it's a case of whether Croatia can do enough I still think Belgium will qualify regardless but I do think there is a window there for Canada or Morocco to to cause an upset moving on then to group G and I think that this is the one where a lot of people's favorites for the tournament are in so that's um, Brazil obviously who I think will be hugely disappointed if they don't qualify out of this group in first position. It's a really, really good draw for them, really. What's there to say about Brazil, other than the fact that they've just got an incredible array of talent here? It's a really, really strong squad with great depth in almost every position as well. You know, in goal, ridiculous that you have both Alisson and Edison available. Right back, it'll be between Dani Alves and Danilo. Danilo looking really good, actually, for Juventus at the moment. Dani Alves obviously ageing, so slight concern, I guess, there if he was to get injured, but I think Danilo's a cracking option. 
and then Sandro and Tellez for the left back option. Slight weakness there, I suppose, um, but still solid enough options. With then uh, Bremer, Militao, Marquinhos, or Thiago Silva as your centre back options, uh, I think that's pretty strong. And then midfield, I mean, Fabinho's not having a great year. Casemiro, obviously, sort of just getting things going at Man United, but still both strong options for this uh, Brazilian midfield. And then Bruno Chimares and Fred Paqueta, you know, just quality quality uh, options to have as those uh, number eights as well. There's been some talk that Neymar might sort of play central as well, so we'll see whether that happens and it's something more of a sort of double pivot behind there. But, you know, I think Paqueta's made West Ham look a lot, lot better in forward areas. He's sort of more of another number 10 as well, so it'll be a good idea, I think, to try and get him in the team. And then obviously their front line is just terrific. Um, Anthony, Jesus, Martinelli, Neymar, Rafinha, Richarlison, Rodrigo, Vinicius, Pedro. I mean, just ridiculous options. So I think personnel, we might see a fair bit of rotation. I think we'll see players not necessarily playing full 90s um, just to just to rotate them in because if you start someone like Neymar wide left, then you've got to get Martinelli in minutes. So you start Rafinha, you've got to get Anthony on. You, you know, start... Jay-Z through the middle, you've got Richarlison to bring off the bench, and then you've got, that's without even talking about Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr., you know, the two starting wingers for Real Madrid, who will both fancy a chance as well, so maybe you maybe you start Vinicius, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough question, but it's a, it's a great question, you've got a lot of players there in, you know, very good form as well, not just talented players, but really good form, so I think they'll, they'll cruise through this group. I think second place then is going to be Switzerland, I think, I think that they'll probably perform well again, I think they're always a bit of a, uh, a surprise number. Looking at a four-two-three-one, four-three-three kind of hybrid thing, just tactically pretty smart and quite reactive. I think that what they look good at is really just being able to, you know, um, set up in a way that is going to cause the opposition problems, rather than necessarily focus too much about being wedded to a particular tactic themselves. I think they're going to benefit quite a lot from having uh, Akanji and Saar as their two centre-back options, both of which are. Pl- playing regularly for their clubs and playing really well. Shah having a surprisingly good season for Newcastle and Akanji playing probably a surprisingly large amount of minutes for Man City this year. So I think that's excellent. Xhaka obviously having a great year for Arsenal in midfield as well. Freuler not really got things going at Forest, but uh, a terrific player. They've also got Sakaria and So as options there as well. Obviously, I think Shakiri can still do a job uh, as a sort of 10, maybe interesting to see whether he starts. It might be more of a bench role for him this time around. I don't know. Um, I don't know quite who they play instead, so I, I imagine he probably he probably will get the nod to start in those uh, in that sort of number ten position. But yeah, really exciting. I guess the one question is whether they have they have enough up top. Brilliant Bolo is a exciting player, but I'm just not quite sure that their wide options are are strong enough. Maybe Shakiri plays wide right, um, but I don't know. I think in the in that sort of final third area, they're maybe a little bit weaker. But if they can get the ball to Mbolo, then I think they've got got the option to, to score some goals. I think uh, Okafor as well from Salzburg is uh, an exciting talent. So probably won't play both at the same time, but definitely a good option off the bench. So be interesting to see how that goes. The third place position then I think is really tough because I actually think that both Cameroon and Serbia are quite good sides. I think that Cameroon have traditionally struggled with goals but what they might benefit from this time around is uh, to promoting in great goal scoring form for Bayern Munich just suddenly come back into this team and is scoring for fun so again it's a question of whether they have enough creativity around him though to make things work they've got Brian and Bomo who could 
who could possibly provide that. But and uh, a Canby as well at Lyon, who looks a decent player. But I'm not sure they'll quite have enough to to get through that. I really like uh, Anguissa at Napoli it's, uh, as a midfield option, but he's never really looked as good for Cameroon as he has for Napoli. So. And he's certainly not a sort of creative type of player. He's a sort of deeper, press-resistant, help you progress the ball up the pitch. But if there's no one to progress it to, then uh, they might struggle. So I think that ultimately they're going to have um, a difficult time creating enough chances to score goals. So I think they might just lose out to uh, Serbia, finishing in third, purely just because I think that they just have slightly more in uh, forward areas to, to really create something that interesting because they played the three five two, but they're actually quite expansive not massive amounts of quality in defence which is why I think they play that sort of um, deeper formation to really offer some coverage so the three and then the, the kind of th- the, the three def- defenders and then the three kind of midfielders as well as a sort of flat flat line but then they've got actually some really exciting players that can uh, create stuff going forward someone like Kostic will play as the, the wing back and they've got Tadic who maybe he'll play central uh, but be able to break them out and then Mitrovic and Vlahovic uh, up top which I think is a really really dangerous front line and I think again good form obviously Mitrovic been slightly injured recently see whether he comes back and he can get back in the goals but he's been he was scoring for fun before he got injured so I think if they can uh, create enough chances for those two you've got a uh, a really dangerous situation so I think that Serbia will probably just be able to, to, to get enough to finish third and maybe challenge Switzerland for that second spot but again similar to Group F we've got a situation where I think you know top of the group should be pretty nailed on but then that second place position you know is actually more up in the air than you might think. Right finally then Group H interesting one this one I think that we might actually have a, a slight surprise here and Uruguay will top the group I think from back to front, they look like a pretty decent side. Araujo having a decent year for Barcelona. Jimenez, Gomez, slight concerns maybe with pace there as a centre-back partnership, but I think that's okay. You know, really good options through the midfield. Bentancur doing really, really well for Tottenham. Lucas Torreira, decent player. Valverde obviously looking great. Interested to see whether he plays um, in that midfield unit or whether he plays kind of wide wide in the front three will slightly depend how they set up which um, is really not clear they've uh, they've used so many formations so I think they'll be incredibly flexible to whatever the uh, the opposition do but they definitely have the potential here to control games with a, a midfield lineup like that I'd be tempted to play Valverde in the midfield just because of how you could really dominate a team doing it doing it that way and uh, you could even play a formation where you sort of lean towards a front two and you um played Darwin Nunes and Cavani and you've got Luis Suarez off the bench you know slightly aging front front line there lots of reliance there on Darwin Nunes perhaps to kind of carry that but you know I think regardless still a decent opportunity to to score if you can create enough chances and I think that that midfield unit will will give them a really good base to uh to progress from so yeah I think that they'll probably top the group I think Portugal then will 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 finish second I think um you know this drum has been beaten quite a lot recently but you know Ronaldo is a problem um I think clear it's clear that when he plays for Man United that he makes them worse and I think it's true for Portugal and I don't think you can just ignore that 
you can't also ignore the fact that he sort of seems to clearly just expect to start every game and play every minute and that could be a massive problem for for Portugal in this tournament because I think that if you played a more a more sort of fluid front three where you put João Felix in the middle of that for example with um, Bernardo Silva and Rafael Leal either side of him you actually have a a much more threatening team whereas it's so clear that Ronaldo will not do anything out of possession he will not hold his position centrally he'll drift he'll occupy spaces that other people should be in and when he gets the ball he will more often than not break down attacks and particularly in tournament football you cannot afford to be carrying a player like that so let's see whether Fernando Santos has the nerve to drop Ronaldo and do what I think would be the better thing for Portugal as a team if if Ronaldo becomes a bench option and he can be a youthful bench option then I think that Portugal could possibly win the group but I think if he starts every minute then not only could they not not finish top they could not progress out the group altogether because there are teams in Ghana and South Korea that I think can cause problems so it's not guaranteed but beyond that it's a pretty it's a pretty strong squad obviously Cancelo and Dallo looking pretty good at fullback obviously Nuno Mendes maybe being an even better option than that so maybe play Jao Cancelo right back midfield looks great Paulinho having a really good year for Fulham you know quietly Neves also for Wolves obviously Bruno Fernandes uh, Mateus Nunes at Wolves Otavio being a slightly more um, attacking player William Carvalho is solid Vitinha at PSG is incredible and I think he'll start um, every every game as well I think it will be a sort of 4-3-3 not sure exactly which um, which profiles they go for I think Vitinha Mateus Nunes and uh, Bruno Fernandes I guess possibly would be would be my picks but it, it could be any number and you know uh, obviously saying that with the presumption that you play uh, Bernardo Silva in the front three obviously Rafa Leal having a great a great time at AC Milan as well so um, get him on the ball get Ronaldo off the pitch and I think you've got a really really good squad there right then I think probably third place in the group but with the best chance of picking Portugal's pocket is then Ghana um, really strong first 11 slight issues in depth I suppose um, spent most of the time playing a full of 4-2-3-1 I think in Daniel Amati and Mohamed Salasu you've got decent uh, centre-back pairing there with Tarek Lamptey not playing much at Brighton but still obviously threatening from a fullback position obviously I think Thomas Partey will be important in that uh, in that double pivot not quite sure they have enough elsewhere does Mohamed Kudos play in midfield or does he play higher up maybe you play him maybe play him as a 10 just behind someone like Anaki Williams uh, as a 9 Jordan Ayo I think will be important just as a sort of hard-working winger probably off on the right hand side so I think there's a I, th- I think there's a, a good starting 11 there I'm worried about any injuries I'm worried about depth a little bit but I think that they could cause um, teams like Portugal and South Korea in particular problems so they could they could pick up enough points to to get out of the group but I think it's more likely they just miss out they got South Korea finishing fourth obviously Son's injury is the 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 big concern still in the squad supposedly will be fit we'll see um, obviously if he's not that's a big problem 
if he is injured, then there's a lot of pressure on the the young Wu Young uh, or Jong Wu Young to to step up, and I'm not sure whether he's ready for that. Uh, obviously, got a couple of other recognisable players as well, but you know, notably Wang He Chan, uh, Kim Min Jai at um, Napoli as well as a just, he's just such a good centre back, so I think he's a good option. But I just don't think there's enough in and around those talented players to to really get South Korea enough to genuinely challenge to get out the group. So I think unfortunately they probably will finish bottom, and I think particularly if Son's not fit, then I just can't see them see them having enough going forward to to really cause teams problems right that's the group by group roundup then hopefully that was useful and give you guys something to to keep an eye on as the tournament progresses don't at me if all my opinions were wrong or do actually get in contact on that note uh, you can find us at eafc underscore podcast on twitter that's probably the best place to to hit us up and then we're everyone's a football critic on instagram and everyone's a football critic on facebook as well so feel free to go follow those pages hopefully callum will be back in the copilot seat next week because this is a bit awkward doing by myself but hopefully it was still worth listening to i'm really excited about the tournament interested to see whether those um groups pan out how, how i thought they would you know potential for quite a lot of surprises and i think a lot of these groups are pretty open so really excited to see how things go so Callum and I are planning to record after each round of games is complete. I believe that that will be on the 24th. So I think we'll record on the 24th and probably release either late that evening or early on the 25th. So yeah, join us again next week for more chats about actually some football that will have been played by then. Thanks.